would say that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So Josh is amazing on his own, right? He can totally stand on his own and he could make it in this world without me. And I'm, I'm okay too. <laughs> like I'm a decent person. Like I have a lot of great qualities. I bring a lot to the table and I could make it on my own. But together, right? There's a strength there, right? And also like, it's just more fun with someone. Yes. You know, humans are, we're kind of pack animals. We, we like to mate for life and we divide off into these little family groups and social groups. And it's good for us as humans to have people in our corner. And it feels nice to be loved. And so opening yourself up to be vulnerable enough to give love and to receive love is one of the sweetest experiences we can have. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. It's story time brought to you by locumstory.com. Today we'll be reading One Job, Two Job. One Job, Two Jobs, Red Blob, No Job. Elective Doc, Emergency Doc, Summon Overstock, Summon Out of Stock. This doc is too abused. This doc is underused. This doc can't get sick. Say, let's try a brand new trick. For all the docs about to cry, here's an idea you can try. Look into a locum tenens assignment, a really great option you might find it. Don't forget locums pays much better and you can find assignments in any type of weather. With all this new info trapped up in your thinker, go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash locum story and use your mouse to tinker. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if locum tenens is in your next chapter. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Laura McElderry. Laura is a life and relationship coach for those married to physicians and the host of the Married to Doctors podcast. She is the loving wife to a trauma critical care surgeon, married 20 years this October, and the supportive mother to five boys, ages 8 to 17. Yay! Welcome, Laura! Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks for coming. Tell us, tell my audience a little bit about a little bit about where you are and and who you are. Yeah. So my husband and I live in Missouri, um, the southwest corner of Missouri, in a city called Springfield. Um, we've been here three years now after a very very long journey of training. Uh, my husband is an attending trauma critical care surgeon here at a level one trauma center, and as you mentioned in the intro, we are busy with our five kiddos. Our oldest, who was born, get this, before my husband took the MCAT, um, will be graduating high school next year. And 
our longstanding joke has been, will your student loans be paid off before our oldest (laughs) needs student loans to get through school? So it's been quite the journey and adventure. And we do have five children, which is considered by most people to be a larger family. Um, Our youngest is eight years old. So that's what we do. I am a life and relationship coach. So I have the flexibility of working from home In my former life, if you will, I taught English as a second language, taught history. Yeah, history and English. I've also taught family sciences um, at the college and high school level as well. So I'm a big geek when it comes to marriage and family relationships. And uh, I love all this stuff. And I am a certified coach. So it's a lot of fun. You have known your husband before he even knew he wanted to go to medical school or did he always know? So it was this thing. He was like, I think I'm going to be a math teacher. Okay. But I'm considering taking the MCAT. That's kind of where we were when we met. (laughs) Ah, okay. Okay. So, okay. Bring us back then. This was over 20 years ago. You said you've been together for 20 years. So I assume it's over 20 years ago. Let us know. What happened? What did that look like? Yeah. So he, uh, he was working on his bachelor's degree. I'm just a couple years older than him. So we met when I was working on my master's degree and he was working on a bachelor's in mathematics and trying to decide what he was going to do with that. He he went and observed an orthopedic procedure. And that's when he kind of fell in love with surgery and was like, I, I think I could do that. He had been working construction and he saw a lot of similarities between um, that orthopedic surgery and construction. He was like, it's just tools. You know, they're just using certain tools and and figuring things out. So he got really intrigued about that and considered, well, I might take the MCAT, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, um, we, neither one of us had family members in medicine, so we did not understand the journey. We were very illiterate when it came to what it was going to look like. Neither one of us had a clue about match or, um, really the process in general. Um, so in my mind, I was like, oh, what a romantic idea. He might become a physician. <laughs> Total naive, didn't have a clue. Um, and and that's where we were at. And so um, we did get married and um, didn't put off having children too long. Our oldest was born about two years after we were married. Yeah, we just have been through it. When you brought up the MCAT, you had already been dating for a while or had you already bet, fallen in love with him at that point? Yeah. So we fell in love pretty quickly, to be honest. Um, within a few weeks, we were just totally smitten with each other. And I remember thinking, I don't know if it was love at first sight, but it was definitely like this. Um, and this may sound make me sound like a horrible person, but like my, my biology side came out in me and I was like, if another girl gets him first, I know for sure I'll be jealous. <laughs> I know for sure I'll be upset if someone else starts dating him. Mm-hmm. So I definitely wanted to give us a chance. And um, I'm, I'm glad that I did. He's He's been a wonderful partner. No, that's perfect. So what, why did you fall in love with him? What was it about? What made your biology, you know, what made your hormones go wild in that moment? <laughs> well, he is very good looking, um, obviously biased opinion. Um, no, and he, he just, um, I, it's funny, I had known his sister and brother before meeting him. So I kind of knew a little bit of background about his family and knew that he came from a wonderful family. And so 
when I met him, I remember just being pleasantly surprised that he was so much taller than his sister because I'm 5'8". And so, you know, I loved the fact that that he was just over six foot. And I was like, this is great. You know, he's so cute. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, things we had in common, we, we met at church. So church was very important to both of us. And so I think that gave us a strong foundation to build a relationship on. Um, kind of the similar value systems and where we wanted to go with our lives and having those things in common, I think really helped kind of speed up our relationship as far as like where we were and what we wanted in life. Um, and honestly, it was just easy. You know, I had dated other people and it felt like, you know, not that those relationships couldn't have worked, but they just took a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. And and with Josh, things felt easier. And um, that that's the best way to describe it. It just felt he was easy to love and it was simple. It was really quite simple to fall in love with him. Well, tell me about your favorite love story. Would that, uh, is that like, it could have either been the proposal story or wedding or maybe something even more recent, like a romantic something he's done for you? Do you have any any love stories that come to mind? Oh, I'm just laughing about one of the first dates we had. He said, I'll, I'll make you dinner, you know, at my apartment or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's, that's awesome. Like, this is great. He's willing to cook for me or whatever. So, of course, he didn't have two dimes to rub together. Um, he was making his way through school on Pell Grants and, and you know, working odd in construction jobs. But I show up at his, at his house and you know, I, I, it's not that I had an expectation for what he was going to make. It wasn't like I was expecting some gourmet meal, but I was not expecting split pea soup. Split pea soup. Right. I mean, is that what you would make for a girl on like date number two or three? Like it just- Was it like homemade? I mean, did you buy the peas and- Oh, oh, for real. For real homemade. <laughs> and he had made this- um like flatbread from scratch to go with it. Like, you know, like he's pressing out like these handmade, like handmade flour, (laughs) like thick tortillas. I don't even know what you would call them. Like flatbreads kind of not really non, but something like that. Anyway, (laughs) he was making this food. And I just remember thinking, I hate peas. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> I hate peas. I love food. Like I'm a real foodie and I will try about anything and I honestly enjoy a wide variety of food, but I don't like peas. And so I remember thinking, oh my word, like how am I gonna get through this meal of this big bowl of like green gruel? And you know, <laughs> he's gone to the trouble to make it. And like, why first of all, I'm thinking, why would you make of all things, split pea soup. And then I'm thinking to myself, I'll never get through it. And I just remember like taking a a deep breath and taking a bite and it was so good. And at that point I thought, okay, something's going on here because I don't like peas and this tastes fine. So I took it as a sign from the universe. Wow. Like, I mean, he must've put some sort of really nice flavor in there. I mean, some people put ham in their split pea soup, right? Or yeah, I don't know. Some kind of bay leaves or something. I don't know. He, he made it work. That's interesting. No, that is very interesting. No, uh, to be honest, I do love split pea soup. I make it in the wintertime. It's been a while, but yeah, I would never think about making it if I had guests over. I think I'd, you know, think about, okay, main entree, side, salad. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he, he did tell me later that he kind of wanted to see how I would respond. Um, which I, I don't know if that was some kind of litmus test or something like 
pass the sobriety test. I don't know. Huh. Okay. So you you made it through the split pea soup. When was there dessert? Uh, I don't remember. That's a great question. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember if we had dessert or not. I don't know. We may there was a Sonic nearby. We used to love to walk over there and just get a shake. We may have done something like that or split. Uh, okay. okay. Know, like strawberry limeades or something. Got it. <laughs> so then and then you said he fell in love pretty quickly. He and you got married, started having kids, and then what you know, when he started to go to medical school, take his MCATs, you know, how did things change in, in your family life? Oh, they changed pretty dramatically, right? So I was working as a teacher. I had my dream job. I was the first one in my family to graduate from college and worked really hard on getting my master's degree. Absolutely loved teaching English as a second language, had the best students. Um, I was very, very happy in my job. And we had a new baby and we had worked out like childcare and kind of all the logistics. And we had this cute little duplex and I felt like life was pretty nice, right? And we were in Northwest Arkansas, which is a beautiful part of, of Arkansas for those that are familiar with Arkansas. And the only medical school in Arkansas is in Little Rock. Well, Little Rock is about three, four hours away from where we lived. And that was also Josh's hometown. He graduated from high school in Little Rock as well. So for him, it was like going home. For me, it was going to this big city that I was unfamiliar with and leaving so much of what I loved you know, and the idea of being able to find like the same setup that I had um, as far as childcare and job and coworkers. It's like, I just don't know if I can recreate this. And in fact, I honestly never did. And so um, it did in a lot of ways feel like a sacrifice. Although in the moment, I don't, I didn't know that things wouldn't work out. So in my mind, I was like, well, I'll just move down there and get a teaching job there. Mm -hmm. and so I was very open to going and I was also very um, excited for him and this opportunity that he had, but I just, I didn't realize what exactly we were signing up for or how long the journey was going to turn into. So. Okay. So like what kind of struggles did you have to overcome during that whole like medical school residency period? Yeah. So one of the things that happened um, pretty early on after we moved to Little Rock, um, as I was looking for teaching jobs, I discovered I was pregnant with number two. Okay. So then I started considering how am I going to have two children, take maternity leave, him be a student, figure out all the things, right? Um, and so, and this is something that I, I coach women on a lot and men sometimes as well that reach out to me, they're like, how do I juggle, you know, my career with the demands of medicine, whether that's school or residency or beyond. Mm -hmm. um, now, I did not find a teaching job in my field and decided, well, that's okay, I'm having a baby. So I just let some time ride. And then about the time I started looking for work again, and I remember very clearly that I had interviewed for a job. And one of the reasons I wanted it so badly was insurance, right? I was like, oh, you know, we need the insurance. This is the right financial move. And right, um, I didn't get that job. And I was very disappointed because I felt like I was qualified and I couldn't figure out why I didn't get that job. But it ended up being really an answer to prayer because 
Our second son had a brain tumor at age two. Wow. And so, yeah. And thankfully it was operable and he's, he's doing wonderful by the way, but it was a very stressful time because he was in the hospital during Josh's third year oh my um, of medical school. So right about the time Josh started doing rotations, um, in fact, kind of side story. So Ivan, that's our, our second son who had the tumor, He's he had the operation and then he had a lot of setbacks, right? So he had to like it basically, it wasn't a stroke. You guys are all physicians. You would understand the lingo better than me. It wasn't a stroke, but in my mind as a lay person, it stroked out his right side because and that was his dominant side, but that side got the shakes really easy. So he couldn't feed himself anymore because his hand would shake. So he started doing everything left-handed. He had to learn to walk again. He had some speech issues, a number of things going on with him after this surgery. And so he was on the rehab floor at the children's hospital there in Little Rock. And of course, medical students are doing a rotation. So I'm up there on the floor with our son when Josh and his fellow students come by. (laughs) And we just have this memory of like Ivan reaching up for his dad and some of the students being like, oh, he must have a a really strong pull to children. And we're like, well, it's actually his child. Oh (laughs) my gosh. Yeah. And I I remember the physician was like, why don't you just hang out here for the next 20, 30 minutes? You probably know your way around, you know, the hospital because it was like day one and they were doing their little tour or whatever. So that was a real challenging time for our family in so many ways, you know, emotionally, um, logistically, because we we had other, you know, our other kiddo too. And did just so like, yeah. And then of course, financially, right. And so all of those things came into play. So that was a, a big struggle for us as far as like just getting through it, right? It's like one of those times in life you look back on and you're like, Oh my gosh, like how'd we do that? And you're just like so thankful every day that it's it's not current tense anymore, that it's behind you. So did you, yeah. did you say you did have insurance in a job at that point when he was two years old? No. And I'm so thankful I didn't get that job because I can't imagine like needing to be at work. Oh, right. right. Exactly. Because you have so it actually ended up I'm so thankful I didn't get the job that I wanted so badly. And while the insurance might have been nice, to be honest, qualifying for Medicaid was the biggest blessing during that time as well. And, Mm. you know, now whenever our our taxes are nice and heavy, now that my husband isn't attending, I always say, well, we're just paying off Ivan's surgery one more time, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I always think, you know, I don't know if I always like how the government uses our money, but I always like to believe that my tax money goes to help other kiddos like Ivan who need it. And then it helps me feel better about, about paying taxes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's amazing. So yeah. I mean, do you have any, any advice for people who may be going through this? I mean, this could seem like an impossible situation, right? Where you have two kids out of work, your husband is busy all the time in school, racking up debt. How did you do it? I think we just, we just thought, well, if we, what, what would happen if we stopped, right? So let's say Josh doesn't finish medical school, then what? And, and there wasn't really a great answer, right? Like he would still need to get a job doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, 
it may still involve additional education, right? Like if he he wanted to be a math professor, then maybe he'd need to go on and get a PhD or something. And so we're like, you know, you know that children's book, like you can't go over it, can't go around it. You got to just go through it. I think sometimes in life you got to just go through it. And so you just, you know, there's nothing special about us. It's not like we're these super strong, amazing people. It's just, you know, you have to do sometimes what life gives you. And that was our story. And and so we just did it one day at a time. And we're thankful for all our friends and family that that helped us out during that time. And um, there were some pretty miserable days. So like I said, we're glad it's behind us. And uh, we're glad Ivan's doing so well. And, you know, it's just one of those things you got to go through. Everyone's going to be given something at some point for sure. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's immune to tragedy. So at, let's, let's talk a little bit about more your marriage too. So when he, when he started getting more busy in rotations and then residency, um, and you probably started seeing less of him, how did like communication or interactions change between you and him or did, uh, did, yeah. How did things evolve? Um, well he matched in, we have quite the story, Kate, cause he, he matched in surgery. So we left little rock and went to Ohio and Columbus where he began surgery. Okay. And by then we had child number three, our third boy. And so there I was in Ohio, which beautiful city, Columbus is great, but I didn't have the same peer support or family nearby that I had had in Little Rock. Mm -hmm. And I still had a very young family. So my oldest at that point was in kindergarten. And then Ivan was around three and he was doing much better, but he he still wore um, like a helmet all the time because he still had a lot of falls Okay, and he was still needing some therapies. So there was that added stress. And then I had had the little guy too. Yeah. And so for those that have been through general surgery, intern year. Um, I don't really need to say anything. <laughs> I think most people know what that's like. And so when you talk about, did we communicate that year? I'm like, no, we didn't communicate for a whole year. We did. <laughs> there was no communication, right? Mm-hmm. Like he worked and I um, survived with the boys. And that that's pretty much what that year did. Um, year two was very similar, but What's so interesting is one of the things that drew me to Josh was he he was kind of this family guy and he wanted to have kids, right? Which a lot of medical students and residents um, maybe don't want to have children or certainly don't want to have children during during training, which is totally fine. No judgment. But Josh did want a family and I wanted a family. And so that was one of the things that had brought us together. And now here we are with these kids trying to make this work. And then he's not around, right? Mm -hmm. So that was hard on me. But here's the thing. It was hard on him too. And he he was missing out or or felt like he was missing out on um, some of these early years. And so he actually made a decision to leave surgery altogether. And he decided to become a pathologist. So we moved back to Little Rock for him to train in pathology. And this was during his first year or after his um, after his second year. Okay. He completed two years of surgery. Okay. And decided to become a pathologist. So complete opposite wow. of this of the spectrum. But he, this was like the science geeky part of him that loves slides and 
science and he loves that sort of thing. So we moved a little rock back where we had come from okay, <laughs> for him to do because he knew he had some connections there and they had a spot for him and it seemed like everything was falling into place. In fact, at this point, I took a job teaching again for the first time since I had left Northwest Arkansas and I was teaching. He was in pathology. The kids were growing up and things seemed really great for about a year. And then I'll never, <laughs> I can remember the look on Josh's face. Like I was kind of sitting on, on the bed and he came into the bedroom and he started to say something. And I looked at him and I just knew what he was going to say. And he, he wasn't happy doing pathology and he was willing to stick it out. But the truth was, as he would say, he missed cutting people. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he loved the procedures and the things. So we do kind of have a convoluted story because, you know, how do you leave? He left a great program. He was fortunate enough to get in to another great program to train in what he wanted. And now he hasn't finished either of these programs. And he's deciding like, I really do want to be a surgeon. Wow. And this was one of those crossroads in our lives where <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Um, this is a long enough road. You know, you've had these awesome opportunities. But at this point, when he went into surgery the second time, for me, this was really um, important because I knew that he had chose family over surgery, if that makes sense. And I knew that he had tried that and it didn't work. Uh, right. Because he quit or he decided to move from surgery to pathology after two years because he wanted family, right? Yeah. He wanted to come with family. Yeah. And he thought he could have that as a pathologist, but then- It didn't work. He was he work. was meant to be a surgeon. Okay. And at this point, I had greater acceptance of that identity for him. Mm -hmm. He had greater acceptance of that identity for himself. Mm -hmm. And so- What's been so awesome is since that second time of deciding to be a surgeon, I just haven't questioned it. So as a spouse, it's been so nice. Like as he works and as he does all the all the surgery things, I just don't question if he should be a surgeon, right? Mm -hmm. The first two years in Ohio, I felt myself a lot of times going, you could have done so many different things and we could have been happy. And you chose surgery, right? It felt like he just chose the hardest, you know, like he had made some horrible decision. And now I'm like, he really made the only decision that he could have ever made, right? This is exactly who he's supposed to be and, and the population that he's supposed to serve. And so that feels really great. Ah, this is exactly who he is supposed to be and exactly who he's supposed to serve. I love that because then then you're not left with the what if or wondering or constantly torturing your mind because you made the right decision. So so why and I mean this is this is a long journey. You know, this is a really long journey especially with everything and the three kids. And I can see how some, you know, marriages might not have lasted. You know, might not have survived all these really hardships and struggles. So what do you think? What do you think it is that makes some medical marriages thrive, right? Because you are not in medicine. You're observing all that's on the outside and, you, and you're saying, you know, it's really hard on you, but you also realize it's hard on the other person. Maybe maybe that's one of the answers. So t you tell me, Laura, what, <laughs> why do some medical marriages thrive while others don't? Oh, this is a fantastic question. 
I think that, and I, I say this as a non-medical person, I do think that, okay, medicine, let's just start there. It's a wide field, right? Like all physicians are not the same. They don't all work the same hours. They don't all make the same amount of money. It's it's a very wide field with a lot of variety. Um, as a trauma critical care spouse, I feel that there had to be mutuality over individualism in the end. Like I had to ultimately share his dream. So it was his dream and goal to become a surgeon. And as soon as I had that dream for him as well, then it was our goal for him to be a surgeon. And there was so much more peace around it for me um, and, and for all the consequences that that meant for us, right? If that meant another move, which it did, you know, if that meant prolonged gratification for certain things or uh, certain material things or even certain stability, you know, for the kids, like you always worry, oh, they're in a different school district or they had to leave their friends or we're screwing them up, you know. But I, once I accepted his calling, if you will, as a surgeon, and we had really that mutual goal and we were on the same page, I feel like things just got a lot easier. It got a lot easier for me. So I, I think that is one of the, the things that will help your marriage to succeed is if you share, really share your goals, not just say you share your goals, but really, truly share your goals. Mm -hmm. And it's important to know what your spouse's goals are then, right? First, that's first, first step is knowing what each other's goals are. Yeah. Then working towards them. Okay. I love that. Then I, I also know you talk a lot about, you know, bids for connection. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that looks like, maybe in your own marriage or um, clients who've come to you. What does that mean? Bid for connection. Yeah. So bids for connection is a is a catchphrase, I guess, or a little word phrase that I got from John Gottman, who's an amazing yes. marriage therapist. And I've done some of his training as well. And he talks about, you know, what causes divorce and um he's, he's done all these studies and he watches couples and, and t collects all this data as a scientist to find out, you know, what's going to actually cause divorce. And he has found that bids for connection and how a spouse responds to those is really indicative of how their marriage might go. And so a bid for connection can be anything like, Hey, did you, did you see this news story going on? It could be something like, do you want to go take a walk after dinner? It could be something like, tell me about your day. You know, it doesn't have to be like, let's plan a really structured date on Friday. You know, it doesn't have to be that specific. It could, it's just these little tiny ways of like striking up conversation or just showing interest in each other. And so it's important that we look for those right? A lot of times physician partners will feel like they're a little bit overshadowed by medicine, right? Or they may come to me in my coaching practice feeling like they're not seen, right? Or, or they're not getting enough attention from their spouse. That, that's where they, they're at when they come to me. And one of the things that I try to teach them is to look for these bits of connection because they might, if you're not looking for it, you may miss them, right? Right. So they maybe did ask you how your day was going, but you were in the middle of doing something else. So you gave them like, oh, it was fine. 
right? And you just kept doing the task at hand, like changing the baby's diaper or whatever you were doing in the middle of when he asked you that question. You're not, it's not that they're not trying to connect with you. It's just that you're both busy and you're, you're missing it. And so I, I love to say that our brains are like radars and we program them to look for certain things. And I think happy marriages are when you program your brain to look for the good in your spouse, right? And what you're looking for, you will find. So if you tell your brain like, hey, let, let me just be a little more open and curious to how many times my spouse is making a bid for connection with me, then you know what? Pretty soon you start to see them. And you're like, oh my gosh, like they are actually, they actually have shown some interest in my life. And I just wasn't catching it because all I was doing was focusing on all the times that they didn't have time for me or they didn't appear to have time for me, right? Yes. Yes. I know. It's like what when people start to point out all the things you did wrong, and you're like, well, what about all the things I did right? And so it's like if we do that first, we make that move first and start just looking for all the things they're doing right all the ways they're trying to connect. But but yeah, what, how, I mean, what if you're not used to doing that? Is that like easy? Like, do you tell your clients, oh, just start noticing when they ask you how your day was? Or, I mean, how do you even begin when you're so out of practice for doing that? Yeah, I like to treat it like a game. I'm like, okay, let's just play a game. How many times do you think, right? How many times do you think, oh, maybe once a week. Okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> because when they're not looking for it, they're not seeing it. And then yeah. almost every time they will come back and say, oh my gosh, they actually like, they like did three just in one day. Yes. <laughs> wow. Check that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a, hey, let's go on a date or let's, here, come, come plan this vacation with me. It's little subtle things you just didn't know to look for before. I love it. Yeah. And when you see them as what they are, which is a bid for connection, is a way of saying like, hey, let's let's have this moment together, then it is a way that you can say, hey, you know, they, they do care about me, right? And you can interpret their behavior in a more loving way. Exactly. Now, do you and Josh have any daily or weekly rituals that you do to, to set your marriage up for success, to continue that? that connection, um, anything? Well, I mean, we did, we did meet in church. And so we have always prayed together. We usually, if we're, if we're, he's home, you know, <laughs> then we, we will pray together around meals. Um, sometimes in the morning before he goes to work or at the end of the day, um, really depending on his schedule. So I would say as far as daily rituals, we pray monthly rituals, you know, I don't know, with COVID, things are a bit different. But throughout our marriage, we have tried to get a date night. I mean, I would love to say it's once a week, but probably more like twice a month or so where we we do something together um, without the children, um, which I think has been really beneficial to us. And even I will encourage you, like even if you're not in a financial place, um, and I know your listeners probably are because you're you're such a money person, and everyone listening is probably. Well, some of them don't think they are. Some of them don't think they are. Right? It's it's all yeah. our mindset, so it's okay. But regardless <laughs> of what the math is or what your numbers are in the bank account, if you have to do a trade with someone, um, like I watch your kids this night, you watch my kids the other night, like the getting out without the children um, is is vital 
I feel like to your marriage because, um, you know, they are going to grow up <laughs> and it is important that you continue to, to learn to love your spouse and to communicate and, and people change too, right? Like we got married in our early twenties and, and now here we are in our early forties. Like we're different humans. We've been through a lot of experiences together. Our value systems, you know, our political views, our views on the world. We've lived in four or five different states now. We've had all these life experiences that we've shared. Like we're not exactly who we married back then. And we I'm glad I'm not who I was back then, right? I I hope that I've become a more interesting person. And and likewise for him. So I think just continuing to learn to love each other and be curious about who each other are, you know, who we are and mm-hmm. and nurturing those great conversations is important. And you mentioned a little bit about, you know, a little bit about money. So, and I, you know, I know going when you were, didn't have that job, that perfect job you wanted, which ended up being a blessing. And he was in training. Like, how did you learn to survive on, I guess you were on loans, uh, unless you had, you know, somebody in your family helping you out. Um, what did what did that look like financially for you and how has that how's your money mindset you know evolved over the last 20 years yeah so it meant more split pea soup okay, <laughs> okay. um no but it, it it did mean loans and it did mean um you know maybe there were some things we didn't do like and that that's okay like maybe our vacations were we we go spend time with family or we go camping, mm-hmm. right? We're not paying for a cruise. We're not paying for flights. Um, you know, we do things that are within our means. And um, it was a, a time of, I, I don't know, like, I think it it really is mindset. Like, people assume if you have money, you're happier. But man, there are a lot of people with money that are kind of miserable. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people, especially if you look like outside of the United States and at the world as a whole, like there are populations of people that have very little in terms of worldly wealth and they're not miserable. They're really not. In fact, they're quite content with their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just recognizing that the amount of money you have isn't going to directly correlate with your happiness. Exactly. I think is, is, is really important. And then I always... I always have the the when people ask me for money advice and I'm not a money coach but I do I do have some life experience but I always say you know just don't spend money and people look at me and I, I'm like well just take a challenge like do you need to spend money today how long could you go without spending money could you go 12 hours without spending any money and they're usually like well maybe yeah I'm like well could you go 24 hours without spending money could you stretch it to 36 and so I remember at times during residency where I would I would say, I'm going to go seven days without spending money. And people would be like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that means online. That means no going to the grocery store for milk. It means like, I am not going to gas up the car. I am not going to spend any money for seven days. And so what does that mean? Well, that means we eat up what's in the house. Mm-hmm. You know? My kids did not starve. Like We met their nutritional needs. You know, um, for anyone listening that has children and they worry about it, I'm like, look, kids, people say they're expensive. It depends on how you look at it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, they're expensive, especially if you want to have like their college funds started from birth. But on the other hand, like, it's fine. 
Like you can feed them, you can clothe them, they will be fine. And um, so it just depends on what your your priorities are, you know, and what your comfort levels are with all of that. Um, and no right or wrong answers. But for us, um, we're so thankful that we had our kiddos and we're so thankful that that we had those times. And I think too, because Josh and I came from a backgrounds with less money, it wasn't like this drastic life change. Yeah. Like we didn't go from like, you know, rich and famous and, you know, we didn't grow up with nannies or au pairs. So when our kids didn't have those things, it didn't feel weird or strange. Um, so that may make a difference too. So, but um, wherever you're at on that financial spectrum, I think the most important thing to remember is that, that you can be happy at any point, or you can be unhappy at any point on that. Exactly. Well, I love that. It's, it's not the number in the bank account that determines whether you're happy. I mean, or you're or you're you're set with your finances or not. I mean, some some of us have a dream of going after financial freedom, and I think that was one of my dreams. But it's not like it made me any happier. Mm-hmm. Right. Once I achieved a certain number, I, I had to find that happiness elsewhere. I think a lot of people might think okay, well, once I get there, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it can sometimes bring some, like I'm not against it, right? Like, because it can bring a feeling of security, right? Which can be comforting, right? And nice. So there are some good things to come of it. And it's certainly a worthy and good goal. I know your listeners are really into that sort of thing. And I think it's awesome. And, you know, Josh and I have our financial goals as well, but they've had to take maybe longer than than other people's plans. But um we're still we're still in a good place and we're we're happy with where we're at. So and you're together and you've got five beautiful boys. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so what is the what do you think is one of the biggest financial traps as um, physicians need to be aware of? Gosh, if you're still in training and don't understand loans and repayment, please go figure that out. You know, <laughs> I think um for me and Josh both, like we we were super busy. Like he was a surgery resident mm-hmm. and I was raising the kiddos and I didn't take it upon myself to learn as much as I could have about finances and student loans. My thought was, well, he'll figure that out. He was the math major. He'll he'll take care of all that. And so I think we missed a few opportunities there to lessen the amount of interest that we paid on our student loans. So I really encourage people to just understand that for those that are using student loans to understand what the repayment options are and just make sure that they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's yeah. so that, you know, you don't end up paying more than you need to for that for that degree. That's perfect. Yeah. You can figure it out. You went to medical school. You are uh, even, I mean, even you taking care of all your kids and a teacher, you can, you can figure it out. Yeah. You can totally figure it out. And there's so many resources out there that I wasn't as familiar with. And there's more now than there was like 10 years ago. You know, there's your show and, a, and several others that will teach you all about this stuff. So I encourage people to find them and listen to all the things and figure it out. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that is definitely a good tip. I love that. Okay. So any other big take-home points you want to give my audience? Anything we covered regards to medicine, marriage, and money? Oh, you know what? Before Before I have you do that, I forgot to have you answer what your definition of marital interdependence is. I ask all my guests what their definition of marital interdependence is. Marital interdependence. Ah, so 
I think to some extent, maybe we address this around the mutuality over individualism, right? Because I do think interdependence means like we do kind of count on each other in some ways, right? But we're also like two very strong individual pieces coming together. So I don't know, maybe this is cliche, but I would say that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So Josh is amazing on his own right? He can totally stand on his own and he could make it in this world without me. And I'm, I'm okay too. <laughs> like I'm a decent person. Like I have a lot of great qualities. I bring a lot to the table and I could make it on my own, but together, right? There's a strength there, right? And also like, it's just more fun with someone. Yes. You know, humans are we're kind of pack animals. We we like to mate for life and we divide off into these little family groups and social groups. And it's good for us as humans to have people in our corner. And it feels nice to be loved. And so opening yourself up to be vulnerable enough to give love and to receive love is one of the sweetest experiences we can have. That's perfect. Well, any, any other of your take-home points that you want to give, Laura, in regards to medicine, marriage, or money before, before you let us know where we can find you? I think that's it. I would just incur- encourage all the listeners to, um, you know, it's kind of like money. <laughs> what you appreciate, appreciates, right? So again, opening up your mind to look for those bits of connection, opening up your mind to look for the ways in which your spouse does show you love. Um, you'll start to notice them. You'll start to see them more frequently. You'll start to slowly change your mindset and it will, it will serve your marriage very well. And as far as finding me, I am over at marriedtodoctors.com. Wherever you're listening to this, I have a podcast called Married to Doctors, um, all the social channels. So just look me up. I would love to visit with any of you. Particularly, I work with non-physician spouses um, who are married to physicians, but I have coached physicians as well and, and love this work. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. For doctors, the story has changed. Visit drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash locum story to see if a locum tenens assignment is right for you. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if locum tenens is in your next chapter. What a beautiful interview with Laura McEldery. Now, my take-home points. Number one. Sometimes you just have to go through it. Not every day will be happy. Not every day will be a rainbow. Sometimes there will be misery. Some days there will be tragedy. Other days there will be grief. But if you lean into happiness and lean into love, then you can also learn to lean into misery, unhappiness, tragedy, grief. They're basically the same thing. And without happiness, without those rainbows, there would never be that grief. There would never be that misery. Sometimes you just have to go through it. Number two, this is exactly who I am supposed to be and exactly who I am supposed to serve. Laura McEldery talked about just accepting 
the fact that her husband switched from surgery to pathology back to surgery. She stopped asking, what if? What if? And she just accepted this is exactly who he's supposed to be. This is exactly who he's supposed to serve. And by doing that, with the acceptance, she stopped second-guessing, worrying, fretting, maybe being irritated or resentful about past decisions. Maybe even about present and future ones because this is exactly who he's supposed to be. If you could do that about your spouse and your spouse's decisions, how powerful could that be? Number three, look for bids of connection. And we got this from the Gottman Institute, which both Laura McElder and I love the Gottmans. If you haven't heard of their book, check it out. Uh, they have multiple, multiple books. If you are not looking for these bids of connection, you will not find it. Without noticing this, you are not connecting to the level that you could be on. So look for the bits of connection, the small little things like, how was your day? Or I sent you a text, look at the picture. Or, hey, you want to go on a quick walk around the block with the dog? Look at the baby. <laughs> There's so many different bits of connection in all different parts of life, right? So look for them, find them, figure out when your spouse is actually really trying to say, be with me, love me. If you start looking for them, you're going to start finding it multiple times a day. And I hope, my friends, that you walk away asking yourself, what would happen if I stopped? Fill in the blank. What would happen? And then own your decision to not stop or stop. How often do I wonder, what if? And is this serving me in my marriage? Do I share my spouse's goals? How long can I go without spending money? This was a fun one. How long can I go without spending money? And that is it, my sweet friends. I hope that you are learning a lot. And if you are, please share this episode with somebody else who could learn just as much as you are. And if you, if you like it, write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is what helps give me visibility and other people like you, you know, this, the information, the tools to start thinking about things in a slightly different way, enhance their marriage, take things to the next level, make their lives more fun, more light. And until next week, I just want to mention, I still do have a few one-on-one -on -one coaching spots left open. So if you hate getting into fights with your spouse, if you hate continually arguing about the same things, this is your invitation to spend more of your precious moments at home in love connecting, loving instead of being angry, upset, or annoyed. So RSVP now and ask yourself, who would you be if you felt less misunderstood by your spouse and more appreciated in your marriage? No time is better than now. No investment is as valuable as the investment you can make in yourself and for your family right now. Also, don't forget to join the party on Facebook. Medicine, Marriage, and Money is a Facebook group open for you to join, as well as the 39.6 community. Much love, my friends, to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. 
The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.